Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. Let's get into the show. First question, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Alexandra Cote. I lead growth marketing at Venture. And before this, I was actually working as a consultant in the SaaS space mostly with a bunch of companies in the productivity space, HR tech, MarTech, and a bit of developer tooling. So that was interesting. And I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, excited to have you. So what got you into kind of that consulting? Uh, As I looked on your LinkedIn, you have some pretty awesome roles as like a consultant. What got you into that? Yeah, so I was with with the first SaaS company I worked with. I was with them for quite a bit of time. And then I decided I could take this like consultancy route to really just, you know, work with a couple of different companies. And ultimately, you know, the decision was a great one because I got to just test the market, so to say. I really got to interact with a lot of people and, you know, every company has their own policies, tools they use. And let me tell you, every single company uses like different things. They have different policies, different ways of tackling something, different ways of using the same tool. So that was interesting to me. And uh, then I did go back to in-house. So that's also like an interesting uh, take on my career, so to say. Really, the reason I went back in-house is because I really felt that as a consultant, I didn't have like that control over a product's growth from point zero to wherever it could grow. So I still feel like as a consultant, being spread in, in just so many places you don't get the chance to, you know, work with the team long term and have the impact that I wanted. So that's Mm -hmm. why I just went back to (laughs) in-house. Awesome. That was going to be my next question. So thank you for intercepting it. Uh, (laughs) So do you, I guess, like within your kind of explaining of the whole reasoning to go back in-house, it kind of fits on a premise I have about marketing is that marketing can only do so much in the sense of if the product is off, if the persona, all these things that you can't control, what do you think about like marketing's total kind of impact or does it need to sometimes have other things in place first? So good question because I'm a very product first marketer. So I'm always kind of very involved way too much. I'd say in just how the product's going, because as a marketer, I'm always kind of in contact with what people want, what they say about the product, what they say about competitors and their features. So naturally, you need to have this input, like I would recommend to any founder, really just getting your marketing team on board with product, if that makes sense. And just getting them involved in this like process. And there's a lot of things they can do from just doing the market research, so to say, to uh, implementing like this feature where your current users maybe can upvote features and then you take that to your product team to decide, you know, what's what's happening next essentially. But really one of the biggest problems I see with marketing today is that even even today, marketers aren't like fully understanding, so to say, the value of connecting the product with marketing in the sense that there's so much you can do to really understand your users and your target markets 
potential use cases, what they want, and preventing you know them from leaving and so on. Hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And you're using product, obviously, because you come from that SaaS background, right? But I would argue if you work for any any other company that has maybe even a service, you know, just understanding what's the differentiation of the service, like why, and really understanding it. And to your point, having some percent of ability to, I don't want to use manipulate, but change, refine, improve, rather than just say, hey, this is what we're selling, go and sell it or market it, uh, per se, rather than kind of being part of the maybe not creation of the product, but making it better or understanding why do we do this and that about the product. That's interesting that you have a product kind of led or product background in a sense. Do you, like what got you into that or was it just a whole kind of working for a company that was a SaaS uh, product that got you into it? So as you mentioned, I do have like, like most of my experiences in SaaS. So examples I would give are from that space. But what happened to me essentially is I, with the first company I worked with, I had someone in a product marketing position who was like literally forcing me to look through um, customer support tickets, to keep track of social media stuff, to just keep analyzing what's going on out there, looking at competitors, looking at anything going on around the product. So... Honestly, initially, I didn't enjoy doing that because, you know, it's it, it, it's true. It takes time. And I think that's why a lot of marketers still aren't doing it. It's time consuming, especially when you have a lot to work with. Because if you're a startup, you don't have these support messages and social media mentions. So you would just look at maybe your competitors. But when you're with a bigger company, you know, there's a lot to look through. And that's good. Because, you know, you have those benchmarks and those insights. But yeah, that's initially, you know, I have this product marketing background. So naturally, I was just connected to the product. And, um, you know, if you ask me, any marketer should be, to some extent, involved in the product marketing area. Yeah, I, to I totally agree with that. <clears throat> Before we kind of go any further on any product conversations, as I think product marketing is something I want to dive deeper into, I'd love to just get your definition of marketing. Like, what is marketing for and how do you define it? I mean, to be honest, I don't care that much about the definition. Uh I think a lot of the classic definitions are just on, you know, getting your product out there. But if you ask me, it's about just like really understanding your target market. Uh, if you ask any marketer, they're going to say the same thing. But the thing is that this understanding of who you're selling to, in most cases, ends at a certain point. So they don't really go beyond the basics. So what happens is that ultimately, I mean, it's not just marketers, it's anyone, any founder for, for like a new startup. They don't look beyond the basics. Like maybe they assume that Twitter is their go-to channel for promoting their product, but they don't actually look into everything they can do with Twitter because then they're just going to be like, oh, we can have some tweets there to promote our uh, blog posts and so on. But, you know, there's so many use cases for just a single channel. In my case, the way I like to approach marketing is, well, two things. I either take every single 
life cycle stage or every single channel. And I look at, you know, every use case we have within that space. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. I worked with this company in the past in the developer tooling space. And, you know, with developers, Twitter is a very popular social network because that's where developers spend most of their time. So they, like most companies in the same space, were just using it for basic stuff like, you know, community and so on which was working. However, they also found this like other way of using it, which is they really set up Twitter ads for their webinars. So they were getting like webinar attendees by targeting developers on Twitter, essentially. If you ask me, if you don't yet have the budget to spend on ads, that's, you know, it's costly just to get leads because, you know, you're spending quite a bit of money depending you know, on um, your bidding criteria, but, you know, when you're, when you know that a, a, a channel works, essentially, in this case, Twitter, it's definitely worth going for, you know, just taking full of the advantage of what's already working, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just to kind of reiterate maybe your definition of marketing, even though you kind of said maybe it doesn't matter a ton, is kind of really yeah. knowing your, your buyer. Focus on. Yes, and then kind of the <laughs> channels, but also inherently kind of what I'm getting from you and maybe some of what you're doing at winter kind of gets seeps into this is like we have these pre-suppose, we kind of think that our customer is X or we think that this is going to be, but which, what I'm hearing from you is really being rigorous with how we validate or make sure this is the right way. If Is is there things we could do more? Is there things we can do less even on one channel? Jump in here. I see you're, you're itching at the bite. Yeah. So I want to hear. Yeah. And also being honest with yourself because with some companies, so I'll give you an example, Notion, you know, I mean, you're probably familiar with kind of how they grew. It was basically community, uh, but they took advantage. Like it wasn't something they planned. It's just that, you know, people who were previously interested in like journaling and productivity stuff, they moved over to just trying Notion and then they became loyal fans and promoters. So that's how they just like grew a lot. However, with Notion's case, they don't promote this idea of, you know, personal purpose productivity because you know the money is in the b2b space so that's what they Mm -hmm. focus on so if you look at their homepage, they only have like one plan that's like the free plan for personal use case but they don't really highlight it in like their use cases and so on and if you read like any of their interviews uh just with people in their marketing team or something like that Again, they don't focus on this like productivity space, so to say. So people like random people, not someone in the B2B space, just using it for personal personal purposes. Um, So that's why I'm kind of mentioning the idea of being honest with yourself, because Mm -hmm. sometimes your target market is either one you don't, I mean, your target market, your final buyer, the one who's like mostly interested in your product, and then also maybe somebody who wants to promote your brand is someone you might not expect or someone you might not necessarily want. Because, mm-hmm. for example, if you, if you create a tool for designers, at some point you might have just like creators 
taking over and being interested in the product that maybe you're not targeting. You don't want to target creators. You just want like a UX designer working with a company of a specific profile. So. So what, I mean, I definitely agree with you on the honest, what gets in the way? Obviously this could be such a philosophical question, but what (laughs) inhibits people of getting honest with, Hey, this might not be the right one or this, this might be what we should pivot to. I mean, I think it's, it's philosophical. It's two things really. One is just your idea. Like as a founder, what you want the company to look like, like, Oh, I want to help UX designers. I don't want to necessarily focus just like on independent creators, Hmm. but in time, you know, business takes you somewhere else. And then the second thing is just like your goals, kind of OKRs you set and essentially like how much money you want to make. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So within your definition, I think this can lead to the next question or will be kind of your answer is how do you define good marketing versus bad? And obviously you can argue, you know, dualistic isn't good thinking, but like if I had to ask you, how do you label something as good marketing or bad? How would you kind of answer that duality? I mean, the, the best thing, like, just when I see good marketing is just like when somebody understands their ICP or the person receiving the messaging, because, you know, you could be looking over anything from an email to a feature to a social post, and it just does not resonate with their target market, either because it's too general or because it's, you know, not really what their target market wants. And this kind of ties to my idea of life cycle marketing. Like if you're going to have that idea you promote at a certain stage where, you know, you are finally nailing your understanding of your ideal buyers, you want to keep that throughout the entire life cycle and not give up on your users because at some point they become a user but you still want to cater to them you know give them content give them whatever they need like if it's creators for example you know they always need stuff a template a guide anything a partnership opportunity uh canva for instance grew like crazy just by supporting their creators because they gave them like money assets uh t-shirts uh free free stuff useful or not, but you know, (laughs) and, um, on the other end, bad marketing is just when you're doing things just to get them done. Cause you've, I see this a lot with startups, for instance, where you just go and, you know, you invest in maybe ads, but you don't know if it's going to work. You definitely don't have the budget to spare for that, but you're kind of risking it. And also you haven't done this research on, you know, ads, for instance, don't work with all target markets. Um, You really need to understand, like, when does your ideal buyer respond to an ad? What type of ad they respond to? What you need to have in that ad? Mm -hmm. So bad marketing is definitely doing something that doesn't work, just doing it because you see X company do it, Y company do it, and it's not really baked into your understanding of your ICP. Good marketing, to your point, is understand your ICP very well that whatever you post 
speaks directly to them. And just in that, I can start to imagine that good marketing for you, a woman, whatever that is, could be bad marketing for me because how they speak, I could be like, ah, that's like to whatever. But like for you, you're like, oh, that is me. Like they're speaking directly to me. So good and bad is almost... Well, bad is clearly like if you just follow a template or you just do things without really understanding them, that's bad. But like good is almost dependent on who you are, who reads that marketing, um, which obviously makes it not difficult to strive to it. But like, you know, if someone says your, your marketing sucks, that could be a good thing if they're not ICP. That could be meaning that it's working in the sense of like, that's good. You don't like it, but they like it that I'm actually trying to speak to. But I, I, as you were kind of talking, I want to ask you, how do you define lifestyle, life cycle marketing or kind of that uh, t- term? How do you define that? What is it? Explain that. Yeah. To so, I mean, every time I mention it, everyone's kind of like, you know, what is that exactly? Because I've also talked to, for example, heads of marketing who are hiring for this role. And really, it depends on your company. And, you know, ultimately you define a role based on your needs, but really life cycle, the way it should be is to really just, you know, take it as uh, a marketing area that focuses on like connecting and ensuring the consistency of every single life cycle stage. Because what happens otherwise is you might have somebody just doing growth and they're just like, growing every channel independently, but you don't have that essentially data connection between each channel. Like, you know, do you know what happened to somebody you had a demo with, but didn't convert ultimately? Do you have the data on them? Um, What kind of emails are you sending to them? So it's somebody that is almost so like, if this was a play per se, we could have people that you know, this person's in charge of act one, in charge of act two, act three, but there's one person, a showrunner who oversees it all, who's understanding yeah. how everything's transitioning between them. And you kind of say cycle. Could it be synonymous with like touch points? Every kind of touch point, obviously there's a pre-touch, you know. Yeah. Is that kind of on? Am I tracking, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. with you? Uh, yeah. The only thing is that like a touch point is, I mean, if you just use it generally, it might be confused with this like initial awareness acquisition stage um, where you really like interact with your customer. But essentially, it's kind of the same thing. The only thing is that really the life cycle or the cycle, whatever, really kind of expands throughout, you know, it's basically a flywheel, essentially. So you go from, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about your product to every single step up until the moment where maybe they refer you, your brand, to someone else, but you still need to keep them engaged, essentially. So what are you doing on the lead nurturing side? So lead nurturing is something that uh, your lifecycle marketer could be in charge of, but ultimately a lifecycle marketer doesn't, for example, they're not responsible, you know, for content or social media. They're really in charge of like connecting these steps, so to say, the life cycle touch points, if you want to call them. Um, and kind of the main attributions are email. So getting the email automation right for every single uh, life cycle stage. So what kind of emails are we sending to someone who just watched a webinar 
or what kind of emails are we sending to someone who hasn't used our app in two months? And then something else they do is CRM stuff. I'm not a pro, but essentially, you know, making sure you've got all the data you need in one place for, you know, your general marketing manager or uh, someone on the content side, on the event side to actually, you know, get a better understanding of that person. Hmm. Hmm. This definitely sounds like, I don't want to say complex, but definitely somebody who has to understand all of it very well to then connect it. Is that correct? Do you think? Is that a correct assumption? Yeah. And, um, you, I would say you need someone like that. It doesn't have to be like a, a dedicated role. It can be just like, you know, maybe your growth marketer also focusing on making sure that everything's connected because otherwise you just lose track of your uh, leads and your users ultimately, and you're not keeping them engaged. And you end up with, I mean, the most common case scenario is that you end up with a bunch of people in this specific group that you just haven't talked to in a while. So maybe you've had people who previously showed interest in your content, like your webinars or whatever, and you just haven't sent anything to them in a while. Or in an even worse situation, you're not re-engaging past users in any case. Like, sure, they might not ever come back to use your tool, but you still want to get their feedback on why they left. So... No, that's good. That's helpful for me. I feel just from my takeaway from it is that A, they keep it, whether it's a consistent, but like they're making sure the touch points are connected rather than everybody in their own silo, speaking their own way, doing their own thing. And then to your point that you just ended on, go on, go on, jump in here. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just, it's kind of just like getting internal consensus, so to say, but you're not really making the decision yet. You're just getting a good understanding of what's going on. But of course, the lifecycle marketer doesn't look at, you know, necessarily why somebody didn't like a post. They're just in charge (laughs) of seeing that, uh, you Mm. know, a lot of people uh, just don't read the blogs or whatever, the blog posts, and they uh, maybe prefer something else. Maybe you get more conversions from the events you have instead of just content. Uh, or maybe it's indeed like a messaging, pro- like an email messaging problem. Like you're not really uh, engaging your blog readers as much as you're interacting with webinar attendees, for example. Hmm. So they're almost like the person who gathers the data, the information. And like you said, they might not make the decision, but they're coming to the people with the data to save them time and to connect points of like, hey, I got this data from here, this data from here. And, and what I think, this is my hypothesis, but I want to see what you guys think as well is kind of the the job, one of the many jobs it seems that they're kind of doing um, in, in their position. That's great. That's helpful. As I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, I think like I've heard of it and maybe, you know, read across or seen job postings, but I'm glad you could kind of really dive deep into it. And obviously within that was its importance. If nobody's doing this, that's uh, definitely an area where you need to figure out, jump in. So I was actually, I was actually talking to someone who like recently got like a life cycle marketing, like a director level role. And basically she was telling me that, you know, there's like these three core um, 
marketing areas that are really kind of the future, you know, if you want to kind of decide on where to take your career. So one of them was uh, growth marketing. Uh, then she mentioned something else. I think she was just kind of like on the content side focused. And then there was life cycle marketing. Um, the thing is that a lot of life cycle marketers, like today, they were doing email in the past. So I'm seeing a lot of like email marketers switch onto this life cycle marketing role because ultimately companies really look for someone who's like a pro at email and uh, maybe just like handling CRM stuff. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I think I can sometimes get lost too much in the future of whatever it is. So that's interesting that you bring those uh, those three. Um, so growth marketer, how would you define growth marketer? That's obviously what you do. Like, how do you define that position? So I'll tell you something. It doesn't matter how I define it. It matters like what the official definition is. And there's a official definition from Sean Ellis, who's like the, the father of growth marketing. And the thing is that today, and this is tried and tested and researched, every company, I mean, not everyone, but like a lot of companies really, when they look for their first marketing hire or when they just need someone who's like an ace at everything, they make a job opening for a growth marketer because they think, and it's... It's really, that's the, re that's the reality. And it's cooler. <laughs> so frankly put, frankly put, uh, when you decide between listing a job, um, you know, deciding between like a growth marketer and a demand gen, there's just more people looking for growth marketing roles. So the chances for you to hire the right person are higher. So in this situation, a growth marketer ends up being whatever that company wants them to be. So the, the big problem really is that, you know, growth marketing was initially created to help companies who didn't have like the biggest of budgets grow organically with experiments. That's it. It's as simple as that. And <laughs> what's happening today is that I would say, I mean, this is a rough estimate, but 70% of growth marketing jobs are plain. We want somebody to help us with ads. In reality, that's like a performance marketer. But what probably happens is that these companies assume that ads are going to work for them kind of at an earlier stage. So they look for someone with ads experience. Um, to look at what a growth marketer should really do is, for example, I'm, I'm also seeing a lot of startups, like early stage, sometimes pre-launch, looking for a growth marketer. But the thing is, there's nothing to grow, so to say. Like a growth marketer's role is really comes in kind of like I came in at winter. You have this base you have like a solid or not a solid, but a base of users to begin with. Uh, some people know about you. You have maybe some just promoters. And then the growth marketer should come in to kind of take that one step further, double down on what's working and bring in those experiments. So officially, that's what a growth marketer is. In practice, I think only 10% of growth marketers actually do this. 
Um, and basically what those growth marketers do, the lucky ones who get to do what they're supposed to do, um, it's mostly just like experiments, kind of like prioritizing what they want to test, keeping track of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. So is that... Is that a reason you think just your 10% to 85, 90% doing it wrong? Like, is that the reason why maybe growth marketing in today's time has a uh, bad rap to it? I just have seen some LinkedIn content around like growth marketing, this or that, and it's usually negative connotations about it. What do you, is that why? Because it's not even like, they're not talking about what it really is. They're just looking at the 90% that are doing everything in companies. Yeah, I mean... If you're looking at like what most people are doing in a growth role, it's essentially just like normal digital marketing, but you're using kind of growth as like a buzzword. I mean, mm. it's super cool to be like the head of growth at like a unicorn startup because, you know, you are the one growing it, bringing in the money, growing the company from 10K to a million a month. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, it's not like, it's not about necessarily getting a bad rep. It's just that today, every company has the right to give whatever title they want to a job. Uh, and ultimately, this is fine as long as, you know, you're not exaggerating. Like, if you just want somebody to do ads, that's a performance marketer. No way, mm -hmm. it's just growth marketing. But of course, some growth marketers can also do ads, but they're probably going to want to do some other stuff like content partnerships, community, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. So, so do you think, so as you're talking about that, I mean, I have a premise that all marketing is, should be experiments. I mean, that's the only way you create hypotheses you know, this content's going to work, this podcast, we put the goals, the OKRs, call whatever you want. But it's just testing rather than always assuming or just like, but obviously the whole role of a growth marketer is based around experiments where most marketers are doing other things maybe, but they should also be experimenting. Do you agree with that premise or do you think only growth marketers should be doing the experimentation? So I'll tell you one thing. When I got started in marketing, I mean, the the very first reason why I started with this career was because I liked the idea of experimentation. So for roughly two years of my career, I was like open to kind of trying a lot of things essentially. Um, but you know, what happened ultimately is that some things just didn't work. And looking back at the decisions, they weren't the most logical ones, so to say. Like it was obvious that it would require more than what we did and we didn't have the budget or things like that. So with the way prioritizing works uh, in growth marketing, I recommend you use the, it's called the ICE scale, ICE scale. And basically it helps you take every single experiment and prioritize it by impact, confidence, and ease. So to your point on, you know, whether everyone should be experimenting, yes, to some extent, but use your data. Make sure that, you know, you're prioritizing these experiments. Like 
especially if you're at an early stage startup, you have only so many things you can focus on. So take maybe three core things like content, partnerships, community, whatever. Uh, focus on just getting the base for those, right? And then start kind of building up on top of that base. And then after you've, you know, tried a couple of things, uh, you know, the standard stuff really like, oh, we need like an SEO strategy because, you know, these keywords that we want to rank for seem to be easy to rank for. Uh, you know, that's rel relatively logical essentially, but you also have to consider like how big of an impact is that in the sense that are you, is your target market actually making the decisions by, you know, running a Google search? Uh, because if they're not, you're not impacting the right people. And then you're also looking at, you know, confidence, like, can we actually rank for those, whatever. And then there's also ease that you take into consideration because sometimes you need money, sometimes you need extra people to do that or whatever. So these are kind of the factors to take into consideration, whether you are uh, doing just content, just partnerships or growth marketing. Hmm. No, that's good. I think I've heard or saw somebody talk about that. I see. So I'll definitely look that more up. But just as you're explaining that, like it makes sense that the growth marketer is more focused on that prioritization focus. I'd argue that's definitely a like going back in my four years, I'm pretty young in my career, so I can uh, rag on myself pretty hard. Like that was an issue for me is like focus. I would just put it in that bucket of like, we're focusing on these three things, but focus like on the correct things, which I think is baked in strategy, like really strategically thinking what will drive the greatest impact for this company, for the product or whatever I'm working on. So I think as much as that's, you know, some growth marketers are doing the prioritization, like I think it's definitely something other marketers should be thinking about. It's not maybe in their job title or their job responsibilities, but man, if marketers could be more focused, you know, focus on one thing, nail it first. And then I think that could uh, make a lot more good marketing, quote unquote, uh, into the world than just kind of doing things to do them, which was in your kind of definition for bad marketing. Oh, we should be on TikTok. Well, why? Like, what's the reason? How does that help us? per se. That's good. That's good. I have two questions that I always kind of end the show on. And uh, so it could change. One of them's on marketing on kind of all the stuff we're talking about. One is going to be kind of not on it, but kind of related. So the first question, and I find this one super fascinating just to hear is what is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing product, all of it in the past one to two years? I mean, it's kind of some of the things I've already mentioned. So there's multiple things. One is not just jumping into doing something without actually analyzing if it's going to work to some extent. Because I'll tell you something, even if you have this really good idea, like, oh, my competitor is doing this, so it's going to work for us as well. Sometimes it doesn't. Like, you can do ads like they do. You don't have their budget, maybe. Uh, or maybe they've already taken all the real estate and you just don't have the space for that. Uh, and the second thing is, and something that I've just kind of realized more recently, so to say, is that just not necessarily marketers, but anyone in business kind of thinks of leads as, you know, numbers. So just, I've been kind of, like in real life, I mean, this is just like something I've kind of taken from my own life and kind of projected into marketing. 
but I'm like, I tend to be good at really understanding people. So in this sense, I would project this onto marketing and actually thinking that, you know, even if you're in the B2B space, your lead is, you know, someone like you, like a human, they have certain needs. For instance, if you, let's say you just keep pitching a product to them, it might not be the right time. They might be, you know, just personally going through a rough time. So they might not necessarily pay that much attention to their emails or whatever you're pitching, or maybe they're not happy with their job. Maybe they want to switch. So you're pitching to them in their like last month at the company. So, you know, it's about really kind of getting to understand this and it's not just the negative stuff. It's, you know, what type of content they love to consume, what they actually like, things like that. So just looking at maybe the psychographic data of your target market, essentially, end users ultimately a bit closer and really caring about your users. No, that's really good. I think uh, as much as it could just be semantics, you know, lead generation, people generation, I think it's it's key to really realize that the lead isn't just a number, like that's a person. And to your point, uh, just something that popped into my mind, you know, like just about what's going on in someone's life. I think that's super critical to realize just because last week, for example, like my cat passed away. So like if you emailed me or whatever, like I'm not going to be, you know, biting into your sale. It could have been the best sales pitch, the best written but like just because of what was going on in my life. So I think if you come at it more from a people standpoint, A, just changes your whole thinking around how you market, how you kind of try to talk to these people. And then to your point, it actually makes you think, okay, well, what are the psychographics? We talk a lot about demographics, where they live, 65-year-old male, whatever that is. But what about their thinking? Like, do they believe that people are important? Are they all about profit? Like, what is important? Psycho, like who kind of, and I think that's super important. As a, That's a new thing I've been, he- not new, but something I hear a lot of marketers kind of talk about now is thinking about who, who from the people that bought from us, what is similarities in their thinking patterns? Do you have something but to add also, to that? Yeah. Also, what matters is really being genuine about it because the risk is that you, you know, just acts like you care or whatever. And I mean, it depends on the per- the type of person you are. In my case, I've been able to just like grow my network by, you know, just being genuine with people. I'm always kind of like trying to help someone who needs like a review of their Slack app or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it ultimately pays off and you really just want to be doing, like even when you're pitching someone, write a pitch you would like to receive yourself. Um, create the content you would like to read. Don't just create it so that it's there. Make an ad that's fun instead of just regular boring stuff that you wouldn't be responsive to. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree with that. I think at the heart of marketing is caring. You can you argue that's genuine, you know, being genuine with people, uh, putting people first. So no, it's a good, it's a good kind of change or reframing that you've had in the past two years. I appreciate that. So the final question, this one is also possibly more fascinating. The answer to is what is one thing outside of business, marketing product, all the things we've talked about, what is something outside of that, that you do that improves your ability to do all of that? So I'll tell you one thing. I mean, I love the question because it's just like diversifying topics is nice for podcasts. But the thing is, 
I've never had like a productivity problem. So I'll, it's, I think it's just a matter of building habits. So ever since I was in, I don't know, school, I've always had just, I was like developing these habits of like not postponing things, uh, being on time, getting things done as soon as possible, but the right way. So for example, today, even in my work, um, I always kind of start the day with the most difficult tasks and I never have anything that's like, you know, I need to get this done because I have a deadline in a minute or whatever. So to sum up, just building habits, so to say, but it, it's tough to build a habit, so to say, in the sense that like it's researched and it takes I don't know how many iterations to actually turn something into a habit. So for example, if you don't like uh, tomatoes or whatever, if you eat them for, I don't know, 20 times, you will get used to them or something like that. So in terms of any, because, you know, uh, procrastination is like a huge problem. Uh, but it, it depends how you're doing it. Because if it's like extreme, yeah, it's an issue and you can definitely work with it in the sense that, you know, building your habits of not, uh, for, for example, something I do that could help someone is if there's something I'm interested in, like a YouTube video or whatever, I just bookmark it like instantly. I don't look at it straight away and I go back to it when I have more time. So I've made a habit out of this in time. I mean, now it's been 10 years, but it was working like after a month or something like that. So, no, it's it's good. On, I have yeah. habits. Yeah, that's something I haven't really uh, heard yet, and definitely just in my own life, I think habits are the infrastructure to enable. It's a process. It's how you get a better end result. Uh, to your point of you know eating the frog right away or whatever you want to call it, doing the most difficult thing in the in the start of the day. Um, in, a, in a book I've read that is really helpful. There's a lot of books, but Atomic Habits by James Clear, uh, and there's some other the power of habit. There's a lot of books on habits. So I would definitely recommend that too, is that it's not, you know, a lot of the habits are built around things you're doing in the business marketing world, but just focusing on those habits allow you to do business and marketing better. Yeah. And don't just read books, actually start changing your bad habits. Because for example, I never read like any productivity book. I just know I need to change something. So I start doing it step by step. And this, this helps you with anything, even your marketing strategy. Like if you know you want something, don't be just like, oh, we don't have the budget for that or whatever. Start building towards that goal one step at a time with whatever resources you have right now. Hmm. No, that's good. Yeah. I'm definitely for books, but you have a point. You can't <laughs> read books and they won't change your life. You have to actually apply what you read in them uh, to improve your life. That's good. Do you have any f- kind of end the show on any plugs? Do you have anything you want to plug? I know you have a newsletter, anything you want to share with my two to three listeners that are still here. So um, we can talk about newsletters actually, because it's a topic I love. I do have a newsletter. It's on, um, I'd say content growth experiments. So every other week, if you subscribe, you can just go to my LinkedIn page and it's, there's a link there. Um, essentially I tried to find kind of these topics, these small strategies that no one else would tackle elsewhere or just things that other marketers could not get the consensus on essentially. So 
every other week, there's like one of those topics. And the role of the newsletter is really to provide like a go-to source for you to have like the truth on a um, topic. It's mostly content, but I'm switching towards other growth tactics as well. And um, to my point on newsletters, I really believe that if you're launching your own newsletter or if you run a newsletter for your own company, you should try to make it as distinctive as possible. Don't just curate content. Don't just post like your most recent blog posts or feature updates. Do, you know, the use cases, the hands-on examples, something, again, it ties back to my idea on understanding what your target market wants. Uh, If you know they're dealing with a shortage of templates, a shortage of, you know, step-by-step guides for whatever, give that to them in your newsletter. Preach, preach. I like it. Yeah, definitely got to be different. You can't uh, just put stuff out. That's good. Definitely check out her newsletter. Uh, like she said, you can find it on LinkedIn or in the show notes. I'll include links to her LinkedIn to the newsletter, all of that uh, good stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a uh, great time chatting with you and uh, hopefully we can do this again in maybe a year or so. Yes. I mean, I would love to maybe even be on the show again. So <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Thank you for uh, coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. And have a good one. <laughs> yes. This is the end of the show.